0: our little finite minds, we can't comprehend the slightest things of you. And sometimes we, we point fingers and we try to blame you somehow, shape or form. And Lord, we are just ignorant. There's so much we don't know. But Lord, thank you for the insight in your word and the relationship and the, your presence that brings little pieces of understanding of your goodness, of your mercy, of your tenderness, of your will. So, Lord, I ask that the remainder of this time that you would just anoint me, anoint the hearers, and the listeners of your word. Lord, that everything that is done from this point forward will just be honoring to you. We're here to see you glorified. We're here to be in your presence, to to be as brothers and sisters, edifying one another, encouraging one another. As your plan was laid out to to put us jointly fit together, putting aside all of our thoughts and every plan and all those other things and just focusing on what you would have to say to us today. And Lord, I pray that we would be wise enough to receive it and apply it. Let us be appliers and hearers and doers. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would be able to have the balance, Lord, of the truth, to know that you're coming soon and not be foolish and just wait. To see a harvest that's white and ready to be plucked. Lord, that is your desire. Lord, that knowing that you're coming soon is the incentive and the, the, the call to be about your Father's business, to be running and working and laboring while there's time, not waiting and watching. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, worship team, and sound team, and media team, and usher team, and greeter team, and amen. All the different parts of the body. I will say if, if um, you are to this point been just the consumer, we would love to, to plug you into um, some of the other ministries and needs. So if you have any background and you've worked in the churches before or in previous ministries or there's something you've never done, you say, Pastor, I think I'd like to try that. I could tell you we could use some help in our greeter ministry. I like that to grow. I like that to grow to where it's not just a couple sitting out front, that there's actually people out front as you're driving in that are waving, smiling, holding up some signs saying, hey, welcome home. You know, I mean, why not? Why wouldn't we just be like weirdos for Jesus that when people are driving by like, I don't know what's up with those people, but they're having fun. Right? I used to go to football games and, and they weren't all like... I mean, there was like flags flying, banners flying, they're barbecuing out in the parking lot. They're like screaming and yelling having like, hey, this is what we're about. Amen? So that's my dream. <laughs> I have such a radical church of people are like, dude, I don't know what's going on there, but I, I want to go there having fun. I want to go be a part of that. How many know serving the Lord's fun? Amen. Like, I, I thought I had a lot of fun before. Oh, my Lord. It was fun for a little while, but oh, the cost was not worth the price. And man, I thank God that, that Jesus paid the price, and now we get to have fun. Like, serving God is fun. Like I enjoy it. It is fun like seeing people transformed. It's fun seeing like hearts change. It's fun seeing people go from death to life. It's fun seeing God put people in your path. Like even in the funniest places when you're out getting a Christmas tree. I mean just in the random places God's got a plan. And it's so fun to be a part of it. It's not it's not hard. Somehow shape or form we've believed the lie that it's hard to be a Christian. It's not. The Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. That was hard. (laughs) Serving the Lord is not hard. If you haven't, I mean there's times that it's challenging, but he's with us. And if it just becomes it's just so dreadful, you're probably doing it wrong. You might be doing it in your strength. That's hard. The, Jesus, he said, for the joy that was set before him in Hebrews, for the joy that was set before him, he suffered the cross, despising the shame. That was a joy set before him. That was a, an, a joy that was in obedience to his father. Amen? How many, how many know Like, there's a joy when we're obedient? Amen. There's a joy that comes from that. It just feels good when you know you've, you've made your father proud. And it doesn't have to be some huge thing. just in something just very simple of, Just saying, yes, Lord, I recognize that's you, and I recognize the importance of it. Amen? It's not that complicated all the time. So, I'm just going to say, go out there and say um, something very bold. I believe the most critical and important messages ever written to churches, we are studying right now. And I'm going to say that for this reason. Not that the, the, the letters to the Philippians or the letters to Galatians... But it's just a little different when the book of Revelations opens up and it says, blessed is everyone who reads this book. There's like, no other book has a, a blessing attached to it like that. And you're going say, well, is all God breathed. Yes, it is. But this book says, blessed are those who listen and who read this letter. So thank you, Lord. We received that blessing today. We're, we're receiving a blessing today that's a little different than any other time we study any other book. That's awesome. So I believe these are pretty important letters. Um, this morning, we're going to start down the, the path of the message to uh, Pergamos. Um, there's two different names. It's Pergamum, Pergamos. Um, most people call it Pergamos, but really, I think the true um, name is be Pergamum. So just for those who would say, it's, you're saying it wrong, I understand there's two names. I'm just going to go with Pergamos for the sake of that's really the majority. I think of Bible say it that way. Pergamos, here's some um, history of this city. Pergamos was the official, official capital of the Roman province of Asia, which is modern-day Turkey with a population of, their, their estimates are 100 to 200,000, a pretty good-sized city. It was 45 miles north of Smyrna, the town we just studied, and it's set on a hill, so it was inward, inland more. Um, Smyrna was a coastal town. This is inland more and about 45 miles north. Um, the city of Smyrna sat on a hill about a thousand feet up in elevation. It had a wonderful view of the countryside. Can you kind of picture that? I just picture like green rolling hills, like it's sitting up on a hill. Beautiful place. The city was a stronghold though for idolatry and noted for its pagan temples. There was many. Um, the Babylonian priests had moved and set up in Pergamum. Why is that important? So Remember the Tower of Babel and Nimrod and that whole situation that they were like building a tower to reach to heaven. And God, that's where God changed and scattered their languages. And said, this is not good. Like those priests and those people who were all involved, they ended up setting up shop in Pergamos. So it's a pretty, um, pretty dark, pretty serious place. Um, it says the Babylonian priests, city was known for its pagan temples. They had a major, major temple to Caesar. And there was a 150 foot altar by 125 foot. That's big. And it sat up like another 800 feet above the city. It was very well seen, huge columns and pillars. That was the same type of worship that, remember, the, the Smyrdans, they were talked about, they'd take that little pinch of incense and they'd have to go put it on the altar. Like this was, this, this worship of Caesar was a huge thing. Also, Zeus was a major, um, major temple for Zeus there, and Athena. And whom citizens, the Pergamus um, citizens believed um, Athena protected the city. But the city's chief god was, and I have a hard time with this word, Asclepius, who is the image of a serpent. And it's where this, the, the image for medicine, we see like two snakes on a pole. That's really not the true, like it came from one snake on a pole. And this goddess that they worshipped was Asclepius, And this goddess... Um, people was a snake on a pole was considered the god of healing, and people came from all over the world to seek healing from this god. Now we know, and our children' church ministry knows. They just taught our kids like, how awesome is this? Our kids, little kids, were taught about the serpent on the pole in the wilderness like two or three weeks ago. I'm like, most people don't understand the history of; that. they don't really understand what that was. But our little ones are being taught, so. The serpent on the pole was when the children of Israel were going through the um, Red Sea. They were traveling in the wilderness. Serpents began to bite them because they were murmuring and complaining. And people started dying. So Jesus told Moses, put a serpent on a pole and lift it up. And when people would look to the serpent on the pole, they would be healed. Now, that was a foreshadowing of Christ, of Jesus being lifted up. And we would look to him as our healer. Now, why, why is it important? Like, why, why would there, and it's kind of weird because it's almost like an idol, and one of the kings eventually ends up grinding that thing up because people were beginning to worship it. So he destroyed it. He's like, we are not, this is no bueno. <laughs> but the whole idea is, is, God had already said, like, cursed is anything that was hung on a tree. So God told Moses, hey, put that serpent, the image of a serpent on that pole and lift it up, and that would be cursed. So anyways, isn't it interesting how Satan tries to steal what God is doing, and there's always a counterfeit. So now this goddess is trying to take over what God intended. Is like, look to me as your source of healing. And now people are coming from all over the place, all over the world, the known world at the time, to Pergamos to get healing from this priestess, from the priests and priestesses of this God doesn't that make you sad? Like, that just breaks my heart. I'm like, oh my gosh. And they're thinking, they're sincerely going, and they're like, there's a real God and not a fake one. Like, you're getting gypped. And you're going and opening yourself up to demonic. Like, that is not what we want, amen? So, just little fun facts about this city. It was very sophisticated. Kind of like today. Like, you see, education was way high up. It was almost worshiped. Um, It was a very sophisticated center of Greek culture and education. See, it boasts of having the finest libraries in the world with over 200,000 volumes. These people were extremely proud of their education, of their high-class society, of their knowledge. They boasted of having the finest library of anywhere in the world. So you see like this very kind of similar to where we're at today, like people Worshipping knowledge, people worshiping like, it's all about science. You got to know, you know, what's the science say? And it's like, you don't even know what you're talking about. But they're so, they think they're so highly educated and they've got all these gods and they have got all the answers. But very interesting in in this passage, which we're going to read here shortly, Jesus calls, I just want you to hear what he says. Jesus calls Pergamos the place where Satan dwells and where Satan's seat was located. Because demonic powers controlled the people of this region, and Christians had been martyred here, and it's home and was home to some heretical groups like the Nicolaitans. So let's look at this letter and the message. Revelation chapter two, verse twelve through seventeen. It Says, "And to the angel of the church in Pergamos, write." The one who has the sharp two-edged sword says this. So we're going to talk about the name Pergamos here in a minute. Listen to how in each one of the letters, Jesus announces himself differently with a different title. This is the title given. He says, the one who has the sharp two-edged sword says this. I know where you dwell. Satan's throne is where where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast my name. And did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But, uh uh-oh, last letter, there was no but. This letter, we have a but. But I have a few things against you, because there there is some who hold the teaching of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel. To eat things, sacrificed to idols, and to commit acts of immorality. Thus, you also have some who in the same way hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Here's the remedy. Repent, therefore, or else I am coming to you quickly, and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That's us. To him who overcomes, to him, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows, but he who receives it. This is a power-packed view. I was enjoying myself this week like crazy, studying all these different fun little things out. Um, The name Pergamos, each one of these cities, remember we're going through and Smyrna meant um, death represented death, but a uh, 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 not mineral herb that, when crushed, would release a sweet smell. So this city, which was important, right to that whole letter, this city's name it's, it's very important to this letter. Pergamos, per means mixed or objectionable. Gamos in the Greek is marriage. So you would have a mixed or an objectionable, easy for me to say, objectionable marriage or or an inappropriate marriage. That's what this city's name means. Now, I want to clear up some stuff because instantly you can think, what, a mixed marriage? Like, this is wrong? Spiritually is where we're going to see through this. Now, the only reason I'm going to touch on this is because there was someone ignorant enough not too long ago that was a part of this body to actually make some comments about mixed marriages and say how that wasn't biblical. I'm just going to give you a couple examples through Scripture. One, Moses. Moses married a Kushite lady who was, that Kushite means Ethiopian. So she was not Jewish. Now the law said that you were not to marry Outside, you were supposed to marry Jews. Now, the reason of the law, when you go back and read it, and for sake of time, I didn't go put it all up here and go into this super, super deep study, but the reason of that was that God didn't want his sons to be misled by the idols of other women. He didn't want his people to be misled after they married other people to get into idolatry and serve their other gods. And we've seen that happen many times. That is the reason. It was a spiritual reason, not physical. How do I know that? I'm going to give you a couple of passages. Moses married an Ethiopian woman. Guess who got in trouble? Not Moses. Aaron and his sister Miriam by slandering him and saying, you married an Ethiopian woman. That's wrong. And they started not listening to his authority because of it. And God said, um, it's time to have a meeting. And God showed up in a cloud in front of their tents. And they came out and he said, what did you speak against my servant Moses? And Aaron was like, and Miriam kept on and, and God turned her leprous. Not a good idea. You better leave Moses alone. Now let's go further. How many have read, read the story of Ruth? How many of you know the story of Ruth that When Ruth was the daughter-in-law of, uh, too many names, Naomi, they left Judah, went to Moab because there was famine. So their son, her husband died. Then the sons died. Ruth, just so you know, is Moabite. Ruth is Moabite. She's not Jewish. She comes back with Naomi to Judah, marries Boaz, who is a Jew. What? What? We can't be having any of that. Guess whose offspring from Boaz and Ruth? The grand so let me put it this way: David's grandpa is the offspring. The baby that came from this Moabite lady Ruth, and Boaz the Jew, ends up being the grandfather to King David, who is the lineage of Jesus. Anyone following me? Yeah. Does God have a problem with that? Nope. Apparently not. <laughs> Apparently, it's not about the flesh side of it. There's a spiritual implication. So, why am I covering that today? Well, one, because there's still ignorant people out there in the world, there's still ignorant people in the church. That's why we're covering that. Bigger topic, though, is that's the name of this church mixed marriage objectionable marriage. So as we get into this, just put that in your, that was all for free. So if anyone ever gives you that, you can go, well, here's two examples I can tell you in the Old Testament. So if God was really upset by that, he'd be like, uh, my son ain't coming through this marriage. Amen. I think that settles it. Cool. Go ahead. Point one. This is such a powerful introduction to this letter that as I begin seeing it, I'm like, oh, my Lord. We were talking about the fear of the Lord for a little bit last couple of weeks. If this doesn't bring I, mean, I would almost say like terror. This is this is what Jesus pronounces his name to this church. The one who has the sharp two edged sword says this. Does that get your attention? Like we oftentimes don't put ourselves in the place of the church. Like this, all of these letters say he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit is saying to the churches. You need to put yourself in this letter today. You need to put yourself in this letter like right now, because the spirit is speaking to you, the church. And Jesus is saying to the church, the one who has the sharp two edged sword says this. Now that title brings instant respect, does it not? Like, I don't know about you, but if, if and we're gonna read some, some passages about Jesus' two-edged sword. As soon as I read it, I'm like, oh, yes, sir, you got my attention. Like, there's not too many swords I'm too nervous about, but this one, Jesus ain't playing right here. It brings full respect. Jesus, what is his two-edged sword? Jesus' is sharp, sharp, he says, sharp two-edged sword represents God's authority and judgment. That's what a sword is for. It's not like to brush your teeth with. Amen. There's a reason there's a sword. It brings His authority and judgment. He is saying, like I'm speaking right now with authority, and there's judgment. Jesus' sword. How many know where His sword is located? Is He carrying it on His side? I know what our sword is. It's this. How we know where Jesus' the sword is located? His mouth. It comes out of his mouth when we see all through Revelation. Jesus' word is his sword. It is, do you see this? a little different authority? We need to see this word like with some severity. It's, it's, it's for real. It holds an authority behind it that is no joke. These letters, and he is speaking and announcing himself, the one who comes with the sharp two-edged sword says this. That's why I'm saying these letters are pretty important. <laughs> like, I don't know what else we got to do to pronounce that, but hopefully you guys are following with me on this one. Revelation 1.16, remember when Jesus brings the introduction that we covered a few weeks back, the introduction to the book of Revelation, he is described this way, In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining in its strength. The sword comes from his mouth. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 and 15. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. Now this is at the conclusion. And he who sat on it called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judged... Judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many crowns. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. Here's where we are. Yay! And the armies which are in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. Here we go. From his mouth comes a sharp sword. So that with it he may strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That sword brings authority and judgment. He who comes with the sharp two-edged sword says this. Revelation nineteen, nineteen through 21 it says, And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him. That is so stupid. Who sat on the horse and against his army and the beast was seized and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence. By which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword, which comes from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. Do you see the sword? This that we hold in our hand has so much authority, so much power. That it is literally, Jesus said, I am the word. And from his mouth comes a sword that is sharp and it brings judgment and it has authority behind it. And anytime we yield this, we are yielding that kind of authority. It is powerful, church. The word of God is powerful. Like, he is speaking in such a heavy way that it it must bring to our attention what he's saying. And anytime we hear the word, We must receive it in a way that like, it is coming with authority and and if we don't receive it and we don't listen to it and we don't apply it, it is coming with judgment. The Bible teaches that judgment must begin in the house of God. Does it not? We oftentimes, like as Christians, we want to have this like, well, this world, they need to get dealt with. Put your seatbelt on. Because God usually, when, that, when it's time for judgment, He's going to judge His house, His home first. And we see that all through Scripture. We've seen over and over and over with the Babylonians, the different ones that would go in and, and deal with Israel. They would go and, and tear them up and enslave them and take them into bondage. God dealt with Israel first. God was a judgment to them first. Then He dealt with them. Amen? Yay! <laughs> Thank God for it. He said, look, I need to get your attention. These letters that he's bringing to the churches and to the churches of the last days, he is saying, listen to me and get your ship in order. This doesn't contradict God's promise of blessing. God wants to bless us and God does bless us. But he's always judged Israel and Judah before punishing the Assyrians and the Babylonians. Now, God is faithful to bless believers. God is super faithful, is he not? God is faithful to bless us, but he is just as faithful to discipline us. Amen? Does a father discipline the children that he loves? A good father does, and we've got the best father. So why would we think we wouldn't get disciplined when we do dumb stuff? It's the discipline. It's the discipline. The discipling is the root word of discipline. Discipling. When you do discipline well, it's discipling. When you don't do it well, it's just punishment. God doesn't bring punishment to his children. The punishment comes to those who are not. But discipling and discipline comes to his children. Yay, it's teaching us. Thank God for that. I'd rather get disciplined than punished. I've had both in my life. I like discipline. I mean, I like to not have to get disciplined, but none of us are like, we don't come out of the womb like Jesus. We come out of the womb like devil. (laughs) Different dad, like Adam is our dad. Right? I'm going to get everyone all messed up. What's he saying? I know. Well, I was. You guys are all little angels. I know. Here's a verse to, to just say I'm not crazy. First Peter chapter four, verse 17. This is Peter saying, for it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? We talked about that outcome last week, right? So I want you to look at God's word this way to, to the church of um, Pergamos, and really this way to all of these churches, and this way to us. He brings a but. Here's some issues. This word is the remedy needed for that church. How many know, like, there's, there's a problem. There's a problem in this world. There's a, pro- there's a sin problem. There's all kinds of problems. This is the remedy. That's what God's saying. He said, hey, I'm bringing a sharp two-edged sword. Listen to what I have to say. Receive that word. It's your remedy. Now repent. Amen? So here's some good things that he says. He, he acknowledges. And, and, you know, <laughs> we learned so much from God. Like anyone that's ever studied any kind of leadership or anytime time you have to do any sort of, um, you know, bringing some, discipline or bringing some correction you're always taught like hey bring something good first right anyone like bring some positive things so I've learned like when someone says hey let's talk and then hey I really enjoy there's some really good things coming you're like okay like I'm getting ready you're buttering me up for what's to come right so the Lord is doing that he's like hey I really see some things I like here right He does that in each one of these letters. There's some things, and he's not just buttered it up, but he's a good father. He knows they have a higher likelihood of receiving the but if I tell them some good things first, right? Because if you just start with the but, it's like, "Eh, I'm turned off. Isn't God good? God is so good. He's like, so let me tell you something. I am coming with a sharp two-edged sword. Get your attention. Hey, there's some good things I see. So here's one of them. He says, you hold fast my name. And good Lord, is there anyone else dying of heat right now? No, you guys are cold. We need to swap (laughs) like this little bit of elevation change is like six degrees of temperature. It's got to be. All right. I'm going to work on a fan next service. I promise (laughs) because it is hot. He says, you hold fast my name. He says, I know where you dwell, which we're going to get to, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast my name. The first um, encouraging word that the Lord says, you hold fast my name. Now, we talked a little bit about this a while back, how important it is. Like, right? we don't use God's name in vain, right? And I, and I really am so convinced that what the, in the Ten Commandments, when it says to not use God's name in vain, is not using it in a curse word. That is not really what he's saying. I think it's way more powerful than that. Now, we shouldn't do that, obviously. Like, use your mother in law's name. I mean, do. <laughs> I'm sorry. Peggy, I'm sorry. Good Lord, your mom may watch this. I've never used Peggy's name as a curse word, just saying. I have a lot better. Oh, Lord, I'm just going to stop. I'm back up out of here. Thank you, Lord. So don't we don't want to use the Lord's name or our mother-in-law's name. So listen to 99% of what I say. Yeah, use your dogs. Just something. Um, But this church did not use God's name in vain. So they're getting a good, good grade on the report card. There. They understood, and this is how. This is what really why. we're we're to be good um, stewards of the name of God is we're ambassadors right so Paul teaches we're ambassadors so we when we take that name on we represent the king of kings and the lord of lords and people get an idea of who Jesus and what our God is like by remember we're kingdom priests so we represent the kingdom and priests people can go and look at the priest talk to the priest and get an idea of what their God is like that's always been that hasn't changed so he's saying you hold my name fast that's really good like, you're representing me well in this evil, dark, perverse place. Right? Yay. They're doing their job. They're being light to a dark world. Amen? And being light to that dark world, it's, it's not, it is, it should be, if we do it right, it should be making that darkness lighter. Right? It should not be as dark when we're there. Amen? It's not that, like, the dark, because darkness can't overcome the light. So anywhere I go, it should be less dark. That's that's what he's saying. You're holding fast to my name in this dark and oppressed culture. You know how they did that? The only way they could have done that is they refused to compromise the gospel. Amen? If you look at how the church has failed, in my honest opinion of being light in a dark world, it's a couple things. Somehow, shape or form, we thought we're supposed to sit our tail in this church and somehow our little light shining here hid under a bushel is going to affect the darkness. I mean, it's great to get recharged so that you can go out and be light. So that isn't how... And the other way is that somehow we have figured that if we compromise with the world because sometimes the darkness goes that's really bright. Oh, I'm sorry. Did that bother you? Oh, let me turn down my light. I don't want I don't want you to or we are like afraid to be too noticed. We want to we want to fit in. Who likes being unpopular? There's no one. How many knows that if you are honest and you do what God calls you to do, you're probably not going to be as popular with the world. Ask our teenagers, they will tell you. You know that because you were a teenager at one point. And some of us have never grown up to a point that you're okay with not pleasing people. Ow. So we compromise. He's saying, "You are not compromising. You're taking some lumps for being light." In the heart, this is. Listen, this this was pretty important. I had to write it down because I would mess it up. In the heart of satanic opposition, this is where they're at. In the heart of satanic opposition, where Satan's throne, where Satan dwells, they showed their faith by their works, not by their word, by their works. And as the persecution got more severe, they held on to his name, bearing witness to the character and nature of God. To the extent that some people started getting martyred. Hey, when people started getting martyred, you're not compromising. Right? You've done offended some people. Right? Now, I want to talk a little bit about, I don't, dude. Yeah, we're not going to get anywhere close to done. Praise the Lord. Um, this is Jesus saying that this is the, the heart of where Satan dwells and where Satan has his seat. Whoa, you don't hear any of those other things. Here's some things about Satan, just fun facts. God can be everywhere at once. Satan can't. The Probability that Satan is like in your car with you, bothering you, is pretty null. It's, it's, it's nil. Like, probably not. You've probably never really dealt with him. More than likely, you've dealt with some demons. Okay? And Jesus says, I know where you're at. It's the where the seat of Satan is. That goes all the way back, I believe, to the Babylonian deal. These priests and like there was such a stronghold, such a heavy presence there that Satan himself like took seat there. Like there was a city he's going to hang out in and like try to be like, this is my city. It was there. That's a good place for a church, <laughs> right? Like, hmm, let's build a church there. Yay. So Satan can't be everywhere at once. So that's good, right? Right. Can you imagine if Satan was like on equal ground of God on that way? All of us are dealing with him. No, He's, he's limited. That's what I want you to see. Satan is limited. He doesn't have the power, the authority. He does have some authority on this earth. And we want to blame God somehow for that. Do we not? How many, like, God, why'd you do that? God, why did, let me help you with this. God didn't do it. Adam did. God gave Adam all authority on the earth, dominion of the world and the earth. Did he not? Did God give Adam that power and authority on the earth? Adam gave it up. Disobeyed God. He gave it up and handed it over to Satan. You know why? Because Satan said, eat the fruit. Adam, rather than obeying God, Adam obeyed Satan. Satan placed himself under Satan. Satan said, thank you very much, Adam. So don't blame God on that one. Now, here's the good. You probably would have done the same thing. So would I. I would like to think I'm so much smarter than Adam. Nope. Does that make a little more sense? Satan does have some authority on this earth because it was given to him, but it's limited. It's limited. Church, it's limited. We have an authority that is unlimited. Yay. How did Jesus tra- Like Satan couldn't come tempt Jesus with the world if he didn't have the authority to say, this is mine. It's it can't be tempted if it's not, it's like, dude, shut up, it's not even yours. You can't give me that. No, he could. And why was that important? Because it would shortcut him going to the cross. Jesus was saying, I got a better way. You ain't got to go to the cross. He's limited, church. Very limited. He doesn't, he's not all knowing. He he can't he can't read your mind. He could just, he's had a lot of years to study, man. There's demons that watch you. And they're like, you know, if we do this and we provide this, there's a high likelihood they're going to be dumb enough to fall for this. But he can't read your mind. He just could, like, throw thoughts out there. Hey, try this. Try that. We're like, no. No. (laughs) It should be as simple as Jesus like. And what did Jesus, how did Jesus combat that? This ridiculously powerful sword. Amen. Can we get into point three? I'm not scared. Let's try it. Ooh, I don't know. This one's a... Point three. Here we go. He goes on. He says to the butt. So there's a good group of church that was holding fast to God's name. Good group of them that were suffering um, persecution, not falling back. But it's just like today. How many know everyone that comes to church? Everyone that has the name Christian isn't on the same page. No different here. So here's a group of Christians, here's a group of this church, he's saying, you guys are rocking it, I'm proud of you, but there's a portion that, he says, but there's some of you, right? He says, there's some who hold to the teaching of Balaam. Well, who's Balaam? It's a great question. Balaam, I'm going to give you my little generic, I try to cram it all down into. Balaam was a Gentile prophet for hire. I liked the prophet for hire. Truly, he was. You could buy him. This King Balak buys um, Balaam to try to curse Israel. He was a prophet. He was a false prophet, but he was a prophet. But he had some power. Like, he could talk to some demonic stuff. Like, he was able to, and he talked to God. Like, this is one of the most amazing studies and hilarious to me, one of the most funniest, hilarious passages of the Bible that there is. It's where Balaam's donkey talks to him. And you may think like he just said, like, hey, stop hitting me. They have a full-blown conversation that goes back and forth for a while. And it is hilarious. Like, do yourself a favor. It is amazing. Like, I used to love teaching this, like, passage to the youth because, like, it cracks me up. But he's a soothsayer from Mesopotamia and a false prophet. And the king is hiring him to curse Israel. And you can read about this in Numbers chapters 22 through 25. And then later on in 30, it goes, it goes into more depth. So this king, <laughs> I'll, I'll just give you a little reader's digest and then we'll get into the depth of this next week because it's so good you don't want to miss it. But this king hires Balaam to try to curse Israel. Because Israel is like moving through the country, taking down places, overthrowing kingdoms, taking ground, and he's like, "Uh-uh, this is all bad." So he he hires Balaam and says, "I know he gets a profit for hire because this is how he has him. Like, hey, come." He's like, "I can't." So he's like, he sends his people with all this gold, all this stuff. Like, hey, tell Balaam, like, "I got I got some goodies. Like, you need to bring some bring some cursing down on on Israel." So. Balaam goes to, like, talk, talk about bringing some cursing, and God tells him, like, hey, you're only going to say what I tell you. This false prophet, like, God tells him, like, you're only going to say what I And he's like, okay. <laughs> he's like, so he tells the king, like, look, um, I talked to God, and he said I can't curse Israel. Like, I, I, I can only say, I'm just letting you know, I can only say what he tells me. So the king's like, okay, great. Here's all this money. Now come up on top of this mountain, and we're going to set up seven sacrifices. We're going to set seven thrones, altars. We're going to sacrifice to our gods. And then you're going to curse Israel because it was a high point. They could look over and see all Israel underneath. So Balaam's like, okay. So off they go. They do all this stuff. Balaam goes, and and he goes, and he talks to God. God tells him what to say, and Balaam just starts blessing Israel. He just starts proclaiming blessing over Israel. And the king's, he's like, Wah! what are you doing? Like, you're supposed to curse him. Now, church, be encouraged. Like, this shows me, I don't care what the witches in Amador County do. Right. I don't care what the Wiccans and all the other, like, go for it. I'm God's blessed. I'm his son. I'm his child. Like, you can try those curses. You're going to end up blessing me. Right. Right. Go for it. Like, I ain't scared of no hocus pocus. Because I'm not opening myself up to it. Hear me, I'm not in a mixed marriage with the world. I am his son. So go ahead, you're gonna bless me. So the king wasn't sharp enough. He's like, okay, so that didn't go well. So he goes, so tomorrow, Balaam, we're gonna go over to this spot on this mountain and we're gonna do this again like, do not bless Israel don't bless him. He says, I can't promise nothing. All I'm going to be able to say is whatever God tells me to say. And he's like, curse Israel. Let's do this again. Seven sacrifices, seven altars. Balaam pronounces blessing over Israel. Balaam, just, just like you're going to inherit, you're going to grow, your, your people are going to grow, you're going to take more ground. Balaam's going, ah, stop it! Would you stop blessing them? And was like, I can't, like, I can only do what I told you. So he gets it, like, plan C. Now, this one, I just, like, I literally start losing it. I'm rolling in my office just like this guy. He goes to another part of the mountain, and he's only, like, he can see a third. He's like, okay, instead of all Israel, just curse, like, a third of them. Just curse a third of them. I just need, like, a third of them cursed. They do it all again. Guess what happens? Blessing proclaimed over him. He's had it. Like, that's it. Get out of my sight. But Balaam, this knucklehead, literally, Balaam, this prophet, talks to God, knows, like, I can't, like, God's, he is the one. But oh, his love for money. Profit for hire. Yeah, we don't have time. What does it mean that there are some who hold to the teaching of Balaam? We're going to break this down next week. But one, I'm going to tell you, and I, I encourage you, this would be really good if everyone did this. Go read this passage of scripture and we'll come back and hit this next week. Balaam couldn't curse him. So what Balaam ended up doing is he showed and taught the king, here's a way that you can get to them. Here's a way that you can get to them. And we're out of time, so... I'm not going to share what that is yet. Come back next week. (laughs) But I can tell you, it's really good. And you will be able to see that there's nothing new under the sun. The same plan that the enemy has been using for thousands of years to get God's people to get the butt. But I have this against you he's still doing today and you will see it so clearly in all of our lives if we're not careful amen so we're out of time I'm um, sad because this is like this is probably my favorite part is this next week this is really really good um, it'll get a couple weeks probably in this in this passage but I just want to encourage you and bless you guys um, I hope you understand like and I'm not making an excuse for for preaching the word like I don't make excuses for that. There was, there's been a handful of times the Lord has given me a word to say to a church and I've felt, Ooh, Lord. But I always know it's, it's, it's the remedy. It's, it's the medicine that we need. Um, but I just want you to know, like, I, I really, I'm very, very happy with our church. And I think, um, we're a very healthy church. Um, but we all have, there's some buts, right? If we're honest. And, and I just believe that the, the timing of where God is and, and bringing us to these places is he loves us so much and he's, he, he doesn't want us mixed. You know, I think, of, I think of Hosea, you know. I mean, if you ever read that book, like God told Hosea, go marry a prostitute. He, he did that so that Hosea and that we would all understand what it's like. What he wants from us to have that wife, that bride that is just in love with her husband, that isn't mixed That isn't, you know, three or four different peoples or that's truly his. And and that's where we're going to head with this is is God is wanting to bring us to a place that we see him as the as the king of kings and the Lord of lords, that that we recognize his word as that two edged sword that carries authority and judgment so that we would truly take that and then be the light to the world that he wants us to be. See, we can't that light is not going to change a dark world if, if it isn't light and it can't be mixed. It can't be like, well, it's 50 light, 50 dark. It's got to be bright. It's got to be pure. It's got to be this word that is has authority behind it. Because when we're not that, the, it has no authority behind it. We can't speak to people and have the authority of God Almighty, the authority of his word behind our action, behind what we're saying, if our actions of our life don't back that up. Amen? We can't have that power and authority that we see and we want in our lives if, if we're mixed and all the mighty men of God, and it has never changed throughout history, even into the people who carry an anointing that is so strong that when you come into a room, it changes the atmosphere. It's not because of you, it's because of the God that's in you. Because you're not mixed. Because it is pure. It is fully alive. It is on fire. Where there's heat, and there's warmth, and there's light. And people are going to do one of two things. They're either going to go running towards it, or they're going to go running away from it just like they did with Jesus. They either receive that and they go, oh, thank you, or they want to crucify you. That's what we saw with Jesus. And and I don't, I'm not trying to say like we need, it's just what we see. It's just the model. We, we shouldn't be surprised. Like our job is to not try to be compromised to the world. We're not trying to The church should not ever be trying to go and blend into the culture of this world. The church's job, it's so radical, the church is to transform a culture. To not pull yourself out, like, be separate where, like, I can't be around you because you're dirty. No, I'm not going to participate in the same things that you are participating in. But I want to be with you because I love you. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to clean myself up and just stay in here so I don't go out there and get dirty. No, you're going to clean yourself up. You're going to get this word, and you're going to get empowered by the Holy Spirit so you can go out there and not compromise, so you can go out there and not take on and do the same things they're doing so that you can be the hope and the light to that world. Yeah. Amen? That's the purpose, and, and we're, we're incentivized. Incentive-fied. What was it? that (laughs) because we know he's coming back soon. That's the incentive, not the incentive to sit on our tail and wait. Church, I'm telling you, I do not believe God's going to say, well done, good and faithful servants, for sitting on your tail and waiting for me. No, he's not gonna say well done for that. He's gonna say well done when you've been out outside this safe, beautiful place after you've been recharged and you're kicking butt and taking names. Forgive me. But that's what we're supposed to be doing for the kingdom. Like, get your your sword bloody. Get some mud on that uniform. Like, not inside, but on the outside. You're gonna have to be among some people who might smell. They might smoke weed. They might, you know, like, oh, what's that? What's... They might be homeless. They might not be. They might be in a three-piece suit, but their sin reeks. Their pride rose so high to high heaven, and you're like, I can't talk to them. Someone's got to, because they're going to spend eternity in the lake of fire. So we're going to get into, but there are some who hold to the teaching of Balaam. That, that Balaam's teaching is still here today. You're going to see it. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the mixed marriage. And then we're going to talk a little bit about those who agreed with the teaching of the Nicolaitans. And then we're going to talk... <laughs> what was I thinking? But I'm going to tell you what, I'm not in no pressure in a hurry to get through these letters. I'm not. I see how critical these letters are to the times that we're in. And I'm not going to like, here's the three-point topic of, here's the nutshell. You can go read a commentary and get that. You can go read a note in your Bible and be like, oh, that's what that letter's for. That's not what I'm after. Lord, what are you speaking? My ears, we have ears to hear. What are you speaking to us, this church? Because every one of these letters, we can find a part of us and our church in them. And if you can't, you're fooling yourself. We're deceiving ourselves because that's the purpose of them. We're supposed to go like I'm we're like 40%, 40% Ephesus, or 40%, I hope, like 80% Philippians, like you know, but there's a percentage of something like we're like, oh, there's a but. And we don't want there to be a but. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, so I hope you understand that's that's my heart. Like, I just want us to all grow up to that measure, that full measure. And I'm not there. I'm wanting to grow up to that full measure of Christ. Everything he has for me, I want. Like, everything he says that I can have at my access and I can, I can be like him, I want that. So, so we're going to dive in as deep as we can and maybe as long as we can. I don't know. That's not the mission, but it seems to be happening that way. So let me pray a blessing over you. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the blessing, Lord, of of just the fact that we